Chapter 7, Sufficient for Your Needs versus Rich The preface of this book indicates that if your goal is merely to become rich, you would not need to read the pizza principle. This chapter will explore the common tendency to desire and acquire more wealth than one needs, and the preferable alternative, having sufficient while avoiding excesses. If you are on the broad road, you may be enticed by things that the world offers, luxury, glamour, style, fame, prestige, fine twine linen, and so forth. But be careful what you wish for, you may just get it. A golden calf. Idolatry manifested today as covetousness has been a problem in all ages, and the Lord has been very clear in its condemnation. Individuals and nations have been destroyed as a result. Have you ever considered that most of the Ten Commandments would be unnecessary if we kept the last one, Thou shalt not covet? The Lord's description of many in our day is all too familiar as referenced by this excerpt from Doctrine and Covenants section 1. They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way, and after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world, and whose substance is that of an idol, which waxeth old and shall perish in Babylon, even Babylon the great, which shall fall. Doctrine and Covenants section 1, verse 16. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul equates covetousness to idolatry. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The first commandment, let me offer an antidote to becoming rich, have children. In the family, a proclamation to the world, we find the following. The first commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve pertained to their potential for parenthood as husband and wife. We declare that God's commandment for his children to multiply and replenish the earth remains in force. You might expect a book about finances to talk about how much a child costs to raise to maturity. Well, learn to expect the unexpected. It does not matter how much it costs because according to the Lord, having children and raising families is one of our primary purposes in mortality. As Nephi demonstrated in obtaining the brass plates, we can move forward in perfect faith and obedience, knowing that the Lord will provide a way for us to accomplish all he has commanded us to do. Sister Lundorf and I raised six children, and doing so did not break the bank. On the contrary, the Lord has always blessed us with sufficient to meet our needs. Each of our children has been a great blessing, and they continue to bring joy as they raise their own families in righteousness. In your quest for material wealth, never lose sight of why we are here. Children need to be a high priority on your wish list. And unlike the Lexus or whatever you are trying to accumulate before you get around to having children, they do not depreciate. Children are an heritage of the Lord. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Psalms chapter 127 verses 3 and 5. You can be happy and obedient and forever blessed. Get busy. Big hat, no cattle. Our family's odyssey around the country included a few two-year layovers, one in Texas and another in Louisiana. We really learned to love people in the South for their warmth and hospitality. They have a lot of expressions that we learned while there, like stay away from power lines and don't mess with Texas. But my favorite is big hat, no cattle. That is what they call someone in Texas who pretends to be rich, but in reality there is no substance behind the sizzle. People who wear their wealth are the least likely to actually be wealthy. Other people's perception is more important to them than what is real. My dad managed to accumulate a fair amount of this world's goods, but did not show off his wealth. I always admired that. His favorite attire was work clothes adorned with an old fishing hat. He was never afraid of getting his hands dirty with projects. In fact, he enjoyed physical labor. My dad was engaged in life's adventures, not in the show. My parents had seven children, by the way, and raising a large family did not slow them down. 
I am concerned when I hear about people who limit the size of their families based on their own perceptions of how much children cost to raise. When priorities are correct and you are willing to work hard to accomplish your goals, the Lord will fill in the gaps and bless you abundantly. After all, he knows your potential perfectly. Do not be guilty of selling yourself short. If you rely exclusively on the arm of flesh, then you will get exactly what you expect and no more. Stretch your faith and obedience and watch the arm of the Lord be revealed in your life. Expect miracles. Scarce resources. Many worry about our world running out of coal or oil or even melting the polar ice caps, but I do not. When I talk about scarce resources, I am referring to the two we all have, time and money. Time is scarce only to the extent that we do not know how many days we have left before we expire. But every day, each of us has exactly the same amount of time. Money seems to be what most people worry about running out of, but in actuality, it should be the other way around. If our concern for money is only about having sufficient for our needs, then we will not spend our entire mortality trying to get more than we need to the exclusion of the things that matter most. Instead, we will be able to focus on what we can best do with our time while we still have some. Changing the focus from more is better to sufficient is best will also help teach children not to yield to peer pressure and the pride of the world that accompanies excesses. Career and education. I have often felt that life is built backwards. Some of the most critical choices in our lives need to be made when we have the least experience and oftentimes are ill-prepared to make them. What we choose to do for our life's work and the education that accompanies that decision is a very large question mark. As a youth, I did not have clear direction from within as to what I wanted to pursue as a career. My father, in his wisdom, advised me simply, don't worry about what you want to be, just decide what you like to do, then figure out a way to make money doing it. That is wise counsel indeed. Since you will spend many years in your chosen career, you might as well enjoy it. I was acquainted with a young lawyer, not my son, who had completed his undergraduate degree, finished law school, and passed the California bar exam. Having come to the end of his preparation, he was finally practicing law only to find out that he really did not like the day-to-day work of being a lawyer. At some point in the process, it can become effectively too late to change careers and you might just have to make the best of your choice. To avoid repeating my friend's mistake in your own career choice, it would be a splendid idea to spend summers during high school and college working in your chosen field. In addition to earning money for the following school year, you will gain experience for your resume and find out if you really like doing that type of work. It is not uncommon to sample a variety of career options before you find one that really fits. Seek part-time employment opportunities in your chosen field, even if that job does not generate as much ready cash as you might earn from something unrelated to your career path. The payoff will be greater in the end, both in dollars and personal satisfaction when you find a gratifying career. You are not alone. As you evaluate your choices of career options, carefully consider the impact each choice will have on your spouse and future family. You may be the captain of the ship, but you are not alone on the journey. How much travel away from home would a certain job require? Would you have to relocate to an area where there is no temple within a reasonable distance? Would this job allow you to live in an area that has affordable housing so you can work your overall plan? What about evenings and weekends away from your family? What demands would a considered career place on your ability to worship together as a family on the Sabbath or for family home evenings? How much work-related stress would you be bringing home with you? Would your income be sufficient? There's that word again. To enable your wife to not have to work outside the home? Every career choice has pluses and minuses. My suggestion is simply that you learn what you will be getting into before you get there and that you will consider the collateral damage on your crew in making those choices. 
The Lord will bless you to find a means of providing adequately for your family in his own way as you direct your priorities as he has commanded. Work smarter, not harder. One of the lessons I learned from a boss in my first career at Shell Oil Company was that working hard on the job does not matter one whit if we are working hard at the wrong things. This applies equally well to life. We need to first be sure we are focused on what the boss wants, then work hard to get it done. This approach is working smarter because in the end, it will always involve less work than having to redo our effort later when we find out the requirement was slightly different than what we had expected. It has oft been said, if you don't have time to do it right, you'd better have time to do it over. A simple definition of quality work is zero defects. When we are not deviating from the standard, we are doing quality work. Remember, lessons you learn in the mission field about living the standards in the White Handbook? What happened to the work when deviations occurred? The formula is simple and effective when followed, but the results are poor when the rules are ignored and compromised. The same principles will apply in your career. Nature to Nurture Your wife will come with her own unique set of talents, abilities, and education. Her strengths will be a blessing to you both as she elects to use them in your home in conjunction with her God-given nature to nurture. Both parents have the obligation to care for and raise their children, but mothers have the primary stewardship over the home. Citing again from the family, a proclamation to the world. Mothers are primarily responsible for the nurture of their children. In these sacred responsibilities, fathers and mothers are obligated to help one another as equal partners. Parents have a sacred duty to rear their children in love and righteousness, to provide for their physical and spiritual needs, to teach them to love and serve one another, to observe the commandments of God, and to be law-abiding citizens wherever they live. Husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, will be held accountable before God for the discharge of these obligations. The responsibility to raise children as described here is difficult to do unless both parents fully shoulder their separate and joint duties. Do not listen to feminists in Babylon who would have women believe that they cannot possibly be fulfilled without a career, that their education is wasted unless it is used to bring home the bacon. Let me be a clear and clarion voice in opposing these possibly well-meaning but misguided radicals. Do it the Lord's way. After all, what better use for an education could there be than to train and guide our children who will be following in our footsteps? Since your children will be hearing so many different voices in the public schools, they need equal time from involved parents in order to get a balanced education. Involvement by educated, interested parents can steady their course to keep it from veering off the path. If you do not believe that our public schools teach values that are contrary to the gospel plan, go visit your local high school and sit through a couple of classes. President Harold B. Lee said, The most important work you will ever do will be done within the walls of your own home. And President David O. McKay added the caution that no other success can compensate for failure in the home. The importance of a woman's work in the home, rearing and caring for children, cannot be overstated. How can the accumulation of wealth take priority over nurturing the rising generation? Sister Lindorf and I are well acquainted with one mother who had several small children at the time she decided to get a job away from her home in order to provide for the little things that she felt they were not able to buy on her husband's salary. Her husband was a doctor and there was certainly no want for the necessities of life. We had to wonder at the time about the little things she left with a babysitter in search of material goods. It is not easy to initially measure the impact decisions like this have on our children. But I can tell you that when our priorities are in line with the Lord's priorities, as outlined by the prophets, then we will not go astray. Our children will be blessed to have the full-time attention of a caring parent to help them navigate their own road to adulthood. That important work should not be left to someone else unless there are no other options. Of course, some are living in situations where there is only one parent in the home and that parent must work to provide food, clothing, and shelter. 
Naturally, we do what we must in every situation. Open 24 hours. When I was in the gasoline business, we strongly encouraged every service station to be open 24 hours a day. If one were to do an hour-by-hour profitability analysis, it would be obvious that there were several hours in the middle of the night that did not justify the cost of wages to have an employee there or even pay to run the lights. But over time, an amazing thing happened. The stations who were always open gained more business during the other hours of the day. As customers learned that they did not have to wonder whether or not the stations were open, they were more likely to patronize those locations when they did need fuel. Consequently, the overall profitability of the stations that were always open increased. Some women are nudged into the workforce after their children start school with the rationale that they are not doing much at home while their children are in school. Well, think of school hours like the hours in the night when no one buys gasoline. It may not seem like it is profitable to be always open, but stepping back and looking at the larger picture, each child knowing that their mother is always available will pay dividends in greater security and happiness 24 hours a day. At the crossroads, Sister Lindorf was a busy mom between nurturing six children, demanding church callings, cleaning, shopping, shuttling kids, and other errands. She still made the effort to be at the crossroads every day when our children came home from school. The following poem by Sadie Tiller Crawley says it best. At the crossroads, he stood at the crossroads all alone, the sunlight in his face. He had no thought for an evil course. He was set for a manly race. But the road stretched east and the road stretched west and he did not know which road was the best. So he took the wrong road, and it led him down, and he lost the race and the victor's crown. He was caught at last in an angry snare because no one stood at the crossroads there to show him the better road. Another day at the self-same place, a boy with high hopes stood. He too was set for a manly race. He was seeking the things that were good. And one was there who the roads did know, and that one showed him the way to go. So he turned away from the road leading down, and he won the race and the victor's crown. He walks today on the highway's fair because one stood at the crossroads there to show him a better road. The importance of having someone at the crossroads every day cannot be overemphasized. Most days there is likely nothing earth-shattering that happens, but being home each and every day after school adds value like the gasoline station being open 24 hours in the example above. When that critical day does arrive, the crossroads will not be unattended. I grieve at how many latchkey children there are. I suppose it is no surprise that crime and juvenile delinquency continue to escalate out of control. Children are like soft clay that can be molded to any shape we desire, but we have to be there to do it. Where are the moms? Hint, the molding you want for your children will not happen best in a daycare center. Even though recent trends in the United States are in a positive direction toward more stay-at-home moms, the percentage is dwindling of what you might call a traditional family comprised of two parents with a dad who provides the primary financial support and a stay-at-home mom who cares for their children. It is only a small fraction of the population. Sound familiar? Hmm. I wonder where everyone in the broad road is headed in such a hurry. Never be put off by statistics. They do not control you or your destiny. You can still do it your way even if everyone else is on the wrong road. Make a plan in concert with your spouse and execute the plan. Do as the Lord directs and he will provide the way. All the two of you have to decide is that you are willing to live on whatever income the husband provides and realize that your children need a stay-at-home mom more than you need a higher standard of living. It really isn't any harder than that. Being a Provident Provider Robert D. Hales in the April 2009 General Conference gave us direction for provident living. He said in part, All of us are responsible to provide for ourselves and our families in both temporal and spiritual ways. To provide providently, we must practice the principles of provident living joyfully living within our means, being content with what we have, 
avoiding excessive debt, and diligently saving and preparing for rainy day emergencies. When we live providently, we can provide for ourselves and our families and also follow the Savior's example to serve and bless others. As outlined by Elder Hales, the formula for provident living is available to all. If you have goals that are consistent with this directive and are even just a little bit disciplined, it is not difficult. I like what he says about joyfully living within our means. That is an accurate description because living within one's means definitely brings joy and freedom. Getting rich slowly. Many succumb to the temptation to take shortcuts to a desired goal. These are usually accompanied by promises of higher than normal returns or other lures to make them attractive. Chapter 9, Wanting the Right Things, discusses in more depth some of the methods used to separate you from your money. Suffice it to say that the tortoise is better than the hare in this race. I am a fan of getting rich slowly. There is no reason to be in a hurry. You have your whole life ahead of you, so watch out for the pitfalls and the shortcuts along the way. In my experience, work is the best recipe for success, and there are no shortcuts to where you really want to go. Work to live, do not live to work. Sometimes it helps to go all the way back to our roots for answers. Since the time that Adam was driven from the Garden of Eden, a fundamental part of the fall was the principle of work being introduced as the means whereby man would sustain himself. By the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, until thou shalt return unto the ground. Moses chapter 4 verse 25 Work is honorable and rewarding. Our labors are certainly defined by the Lord as the means to an end rather than the end in itself. Some get so caught up in their careers that they neglect the more weighty matters of home and family. Earn your keep, but keep your heart in your home. Remember that husbands have three Ps in the family proclamation, and provide is only one of them. The best milk comes from contented cows. As Paul explained to Timothy, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Learning to be content is requisite to maintaining a state of personal happiness. Being personally content with your situation will influence those around you to be likewise contented. If one is never satisfied, he will always be looking for the next big deal, the next break. Always living in the future for when his ship will come in. Today is really all we have, so why not enjoy it for what it is? When we count our blessings, we will find that we have more than sufficient for our needs. Appreciating the Lord's bounty is the beginning of contentment, which will lead to gratitude. Taking stock of our blessings and developing an attitude of gratitude will allow us to see opportunities in the present that we may miss if we are always looking beyond the mark or around the next corner. I am sure there is a cow in there somewhere. It will be enough. Many of you will remember the scene from Star Wars where Luke has to sell his speeder in order to raise money for passage to Alderaan. Obi-Wan says, you have to sell your speeder. Luke says, that's okay. I'm never coming back to this planet again. Obi-Wan and Luke are standing in a sleazy used speeder lot, talking with a tall, grotesque, insect-like used speeder dealer. Strange exotic bodies and spindly-legged beasts pass by as the insect concludes the sale by giving Luke some coins. Luke says, he says it's the best he can do. Since the XP38 came out, they're just not in demand. And Obi-Wan says, it will be enough. In this vignette, Obi-Wan Kenobi wisely understands what is sufficient for their current need and is focused only on the larger mission. We need to be wise, likewise. How many times do we get caught up in the mechanics of our daily lives and forget our real purpose? When we begin to think of money as merely a tool to accomplish a greater good, then we are preparing to enter a larger world. Recipe for success. My dad did many things well, one of which was brevity. He was a master of one-line sermons. I would like to share with you directly from the source some of the wisdom I learned while growing up. My father did not just preach this. 
He lived it. Roy's recipe. Number one, work hard and stay close to the Lord and you will be surprised how blessed you will be. Number two, don't believe that it can't be done just because somebody tells you it can't be done. Number three, hoe to the end of the row. Number four, you have to learn how to follow before you can learn how to lead. Number five, don't ask another person to do something that you are not willing to do yourself. Number six, find someone you can marry in the temple. Number seven, always make your word good no matter what it costs. Number eight, spend less than you make and invest wisely. Number nine, always pay a full tithing. Number 10, plan ahead. It's later than you think. Number 11, make yourself self-reliant and teach your children self-reliance. Number 12, budget your time for family, work, church, community, and play. Number 13, budget your money to achieve your goals. Number 14, avoid fatigue, early to bed and early to rise. Number 15, become more spiritual, read and study scriptures, attend classes. Number 16, plan for missions and serve them. Number 17, develop charity in your soul. Number 18, above all, pray often and endure to the end. I am sure you can see some common themes in this recipe and what I have been attempting to expound in this book. Unfortunately for you, I was never as good as he at brevity. My father was a convert to the church in his early 20s and he embraced the restored gospel thoroughly and personally. Much of what I have been able to accomplish has been a direct result of his tremendous example of dedication, thrift, hard work, and self-respect. His generation survived the Great Depression and a world war. These adversities honed skills that enabled the willing to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Our generation can learn much from theirs. Some men do not really live for honors or for pay. Their happiness is not in the taking and holding, but in the doing, the striving, the building, the serving. That's a quote from Harry Marsh. Lessons from the Great Depression, the real one. Both of my parents were teenagers during the 1930s, so they were keenly aware of what was going on around them. My mother's family moved from Utah to California in search of work to feed their family of 13. My father, Roy, watched his father's lifetime of earnings evaporate when he lost the farm. A clear remembrance Roy had during the most severe years of the Depression was seeing his father sit on the bottom stair under the house, his head in his hands, saying, What am I going to do? What am I going to do? The hogs and hay they were raising cost more to grow than they could sell them for. Newt Thomas Lindorf, my grandfather, had been previously successful, but the Depression ruined him financially. That's an excerpt from the eulogy on the life of Roy K. Lindorf. Many of the current leaders of the church have been part of this same generation, tempered by the adversities of economic hardship and global conflict. They are often referred to as the greatest generation of Americans. We may never experience the depth of despair our parents and grandparents endured, but we can learn the lessons they have tried to teach us. The short list below are a few of the lessons they would pass on to us if they were still here to do so. Number one, frugality is not a bad word. Number two, use what you have. Number three, doing it yourself is the way to go. Number four, things have more than one use. Number five, debt is to be avoided. Number six, save for rainy days. Number seven, used can be just as good as new. Number eight, functional trumps fashion. Number nine, bargains are to be sought after. And number 10, homemade cookies are delicious. To this list, I would like to add my favorite, waste not, want not, and Sister Lindorf's favorite, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. I realize that many of these themes are out of fashion in today's world, but as economic stresses increase in the global economy, old fashion may make a comeback. These values have always been applicable for those of us who do not regard the wisdom and fashions of Babylon. Do you really want to deal with the burden? Some aspire to worldly wealth without understanding the burdens that come with it. In a world ruled by covetousness, what is safe? 
If you have wealth, everyone else wants it, including those you thought were your friends. Having too much money clouds relationships and makes trust more difficult. It can be a lonely road. Your friends are not the only ones who will want a piece of the action. As you make more money, the size of the wedge the government will want from your pizza widens, and they have the means to claim it. Since you have had to build larger barns to house all your stuff, you will need more insurance to protect it and taller fences to keep everyone out. How about video surveillance? Are you getting the picture? There is a better way than continually seeking for more, and that is simply to be grateful that you have sufficient to meet your needs and looking toward heavenly blessings to find fulfillment instead of earthly treasures that corrupt. President Kimball adds this thought-provoking insight. The Lord has blessed us as a people with a prosperity unequaled in times past. The resources that have been placed in our power are good and necessary to our work here on the earth. But I am afraid that many of us have been surfeited with flocks and herds and acres and barns and wealth and have begun to worship them as false gods, and they have power over us. Do we have more of these good things than our faith can stand? Many people spend most of their time working in the service of a self-image that includes sufficient money, stocks, bonds, investment portfolios, property, credit cards, furnishings, automobiles, and the like to guarantee carnal security throughout. It is hoped a long and happy life. Forgotten is the fact that our assignment is to use these many resources in our families and quorums to build up the kingdom of God. Close quote. Money is not the problem, nor is it the root of all evil as some suppose. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Consequently, it is the condition of our hearts, not the size of our bank accounts, that will determine which of the two grinding at the mill will be taken and which will be left. Paul explains clearly to Timothy, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted it after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 Section 56 of the Doctrine and Covenants adds this insight. Woe unto you rich men that will not give your substance to the poor, for your riches will canker your souls. And this shall be your lamentation in the day of visitation and of judgment and of indignation. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and my soul is not saved. Doctrine and Covenants, section 56, verse 16. Jacob also adds this stern warning. But woe unto the rich, who are rich as to the things of the world. For because they are rich, they desire the poor, and they persecute the meek, and their hearts are upon their treasures. Wherefore their treasure is their God. And behold, their treasure shall perish with them also. Second Nephi chapter 9 verse 30. Notice he does not condemn the rich, but rather those who are rich as to the things of this world, indicating to me that there are more ways than one to be rich in the Lord's eyes. Notice what the Lord taught Hiram Smith and each one of us by extension. Seek not for riches, but for wisdom, and behold, the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you, and then shall you be made rich. Behold, he that hath eternal life is rich. Doctrine and Covenants, section 11, verse 7. I hope that as you acquire worldly wealth, you will do so in the Lord's way, and never forget the reasons he has blessed you so abundantly. The better you understand this principle, the more comfortable you will become with using the Lord's material blessings for your own reasonable wants and needs and dedicating the surplus to blessing the lives of others and building the kingdom of God on earth. It is a beautiful thing, and you will not need any fences. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 6.